Hello, welcome to You Don't Know Mojack. My name is Ryan. My name's Brant. And today we are talking about SST-13, the blasting concept, the first compilation record on SST. Very cool. And we have a special guest uh, interview, Brant. Yeah, Abe Gibson. He's writing a book. It's almost done. It's about the history of SST, and I'm not going to get too much into it because I'll let him uh, do the talking in the interview and kind of say what he wants to say about it. Yeah, well, very cool that he took the time out to speak to us, for sure. Very gracious of him. I mean, when I listened to your interview, I kind of felt like, you know, we're not worthy because, I mean, man, that guy has spoken to seems like a lot well definitely more people than we have spoken to he's put in a ton of work for sure yeah it's very impressive and i can't wait to read the book and actual interviews with uh i think i i I mean i remember him saying spoke with almost at least one person from every band which is a huge accomplishment when you look at the ssd catalog and some of the incredibly obscure stuff that was released on that label very cool of him to take the time to talk to us, and he and I talked a ton off the air as well, and uh, I'm really excited for the book now more than ever after speaking to him. So Yeah, I seem to recall, like, I believe we actually even mentioned it on the formal introduction, like SST, the, you know, the episode 000 of our podcast is one of the publications that are coming out on the label, and um, I'm even more pumped about it. But I will say... I think he mentioned on that the working title for his book is The Blasting Concept, and it might not actually be that title. Is that right? It definitely isn't. Okay. That is the name of the release we're talking about today. History Lesson, Part 1. It's funny looking at, well, and, and listening to this release a couple of times through, it is kind of like a, a deja vu type of experience because we went through almost all of the releases on this it's a really interesting compilation the first one on the label let's uh without any further ado let's have the interview with abe gibson all right so we're talking to abe gibson here abe's working on a book called the blasting concept and uh has been doing a lot of um conducting a lot of interviews with a lot of bands and people related to the label thanks for being on the podcast abe right on man thanks for having me yeah, it's a pleasure. How did your uh, interest in the label begin, would you say? Um, you know, it's kind of a long, convoluted thing. Um, but really what it was is, you know, I, I'm i not really a Black Flag guy. You know, I, to be completely honest, I didn't really listen to Black Flag until, you know, I was 30 years old. Um, so it wasn't something that I listened to as a kid or anything like that. Minutemen was something different entirely. But really, you know, I came to the label through bands like Sonic Youth and uh, Dinosaur Jr., you know, those sorts of bands, and kind of that era of the label. I guess I would have been in my early 20s, uh, struck up a friendship with Lee from Sonic Youth. And, you know, they've always been really gracious and made time uh, to hang out with me whenever they come to town and all that kind of thing. Is this from playing in bands yourself, or...? No, I, you know, I used to have, and it's funny because we both started up about the same time. It's just they became really huge. Uh, 
I used to have a poetry magazine, a little poetry zine called the Pitchfork Poetry Magazine, you know. Okay. We, we started up the same time as the Pitchfork website, and uh, they just became this whole thing and, you know, kind of overshadowed, you know, what we did. But through that, I, uh, I had published some stuff from Lee for Sonic Youth. I published some poems from uh, Mike Watt. And I published even, it's, it's, it's kind of an interesting little thing uh, that SST folks might find interesting as a, a chapbook of, of Lee Ronaldo's poetry. And all the artwork was done by uh, Kirk Kirkwood of, of the Meat Puppets. Oh, wow. Yeah, we, we did a thousand, uh, an edition of a thousand of those. But, you know, through this friendship with Lee Ronaldo that's, you know, now run 15 years, um, I started taking a look at the label a little deeper. Um, at one point, I was uh, backstage at a uh, at a Pitchfork festival, believe it or not, where the Sonic Youth was doing Daydream Nation in its entirety, and Michael Azarad was back there. And so, you know, I, I really admired him. I really admired his book, and I'm sure he gets this a lot. But I started giving him shit, and I was like, you know, why aren't the Meat Puppets in your book, man? You know, <laughs> they were Dee Boone's favorite band. Yep. And he gets it a lot, and the way he handled he handled it and handled me was, man, you know, you you should write a book about the meat puppets. So that's what I set out to do. You know, I spent about just a the year meat puppets. On it. I, I I attempted to write a book about the meat puppets. Spent about a year on it. You know, that's when I first started really getting to know and, and talking to SST people like Joe Carducci, and it was kind of bad timing for the Meat Puppets. It was right as the brothers had reunited. It was kind of bad timing for me. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And the project faltered big time. You know, it was a huge... I failed. I totally failed, you know. Was this, like, not pre-internet, though? No, this would have been, you know, like 2007, so about 10 years ago. Still, probably a little bit harder to track people down at that time, I bet. Well, like I say, it was really more just about the interpersonal workings of the band at that time. I mean, it was a it was a difficult time for those guys. It was it was weird. The energy was weird. You know, like Chris was back on board, but I don't know that Kurt had necessarily forgiven him entirely. So you know, I I, I spent about a year on this. I totally failed, and then I you know it kind of forced me to look at the bigger picture of SST. You know, and it had introduced me to Joe Carducci and the writings of Joe Carducci. And I know you've read that stuff, and like you know, you read that and you go, "Man, there's there's really something here." So then, uh, a friend of mine uh, who lives in Germany, a guy by the name of Willie Mulhausen, um, we decided we were going to write a book about SST Records. And the blasting concept, which is just a working title, is not going to be the actual title of the book. That was something that Willie came up with. Oh, okay. But as we started working on bands, we realized the logistics of, you know. Uh, someone in America and someone in Germany writing this book, like almost like committee style, it just wasn't going to work, you know. So we kind of parted ways, and then I just, from there, this would have been about, you know, really about 2010 at that point, just really just dug in and started, you know, interviewing everyone I could. And the idea was every member of every band and, and the entire staff. Wow. And while I didn't quite accomplish that, I, you know, I came pretty close. I mean, there are some huge gaps, but there's enough material there. There's enough voices that, you know, the story gets told, you know. There must, there must, you must have had so many moments where you thought you bit off way more than you could chew. 
Right. No, I, you know, I've, I've told my wife kind of, I kind of feel like, like Carrie, you know, a sissy space I can carry. Yeah. Yeah. Like at any minute, like, you know, I'm going to come out on stage and they're going to be like, yeah, you did such a great job on this book. And then the pig's blood, you know, the bucket of pig's blood. <laughs> and like, you know, we talked about this a little earlier in the afternoon. There's just, there's a certain paranoia that, that, that just runs through all this and runs through a lot of the participants. And it's contagious. And I got paranoid as hell after a while, you know. Well, you don't want to let people down. You want to, you know, I'm sure you want to do a good job. You want to do the do the whole thing justice. Yeah, you know, absolutely. I mean, and you know, there's so many people that made time <clears throat> for me, you know. Like, you know, Spot made 12 hours to talk about this stuff for me. You know, Mike Watt made Which is which is incredible on its own because he's not a he's not a person you hear too often. Right, right. So, I mean, that's that's the main thing is I just I don't I don't want to let anyone down, but at the same time, I know I'm not going to please everybody. Nobody's going to be completely happy with this. And, you know, I mean, I can see the flaws just like anybody else can. But there's, 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 there's nobody that's talked to everybody as, in, in a systematic manner like I have. You know? Yeah. I, I, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty exciting thing. Yeah, it, it it has been, you know. I mean, I'm glad. I'm, I, I'm I'm glad that I kind of reached a point where I'm like, look, this is. I I could do this for 20 years, just interviewing people and tracking down people and talking about this. But at some point, it's like, uh, you know, I have 7,000 pages of transcriptions. That, that's, <laughs> well, just just taking a project like that on and committing to it like that is an achievement, in my opinion. Well, I mean, that's why I was attracted to this this podcast that you guys are doing because it it seems you know, like incredibly thorough to the point of being a little insane, you know, and I think by the time you get into the 300s where it's just Greg and Solo stuff, it's going to feel a little like uh, a beautiful mind or something, you know, like it's... <laughs> it, it, well, that's, I think that's what attracts most of us to the label is there's so much there. Like there's so many good stories, so many interesting personalities, so many great records. Yeah, ab absolutely. Know? And again, I don't, I think there's so much there that people don't realize exactly, you know, all these different connections, you know. I mean, a lot of people don't realize yeah. that, you know, like the Opal, which was this proto-Mazzy star, like that, you know, that came out of SST. Yep. Or a band like the Tar Babies, you know. The Tar Babies, their drummer went on to Tortoise, and their horn player went on to the Dap Kings and, you know, appears in... Uh, the Treme on HBO and that that show uh, Vinyl on HBO, you know, and it's just played with, with with everybody. You know, you mentioned the Divine Horseman earlier. You know, they had a drummer who was fired. He, he he played with Ricky Nelson and was fired like a month before Ricky Nelson's plane crash. They would you know he would have died with those guys. You know, uh, Chris D's uh, wife or now ex-wife Julie, she went on to you know sing many years as a as a backup singer for leonard cohen oh wow i didn't know that yeah there's there's in, there's just insane insane connections i mean it's like if you look sst's just touch so much you know yeah well you know just considering the insane amount of stuff they released you're, it's you're bound to have these kinds of you know connections and stuff like that because so many people were involved right and it's not to to me it's not specifically of an era because so many of these people are still active. Yeah, well, I mean, just from, I mean, we're just starting out the podcast. 
so we haven't even touched you know 95 percent of the bands were basically done black flag and the minutemen (laughs) and uh you know and uh even there i mean most of those people are still active in music in in, or a lot of them are you know yeah absolutely Absolutely. and still super relevant as well in my opinion and in some cases some of these bands like saccharine trust are you know still going strong you know yeah um you know i mean i think there's three different eras of SST. There's that early era that people tend to mythologize and are really obsessed yeah. with. There's that second period where they just expand and explode. And there's that final. When's the second period for you? Like after, like after, after Husker Du? The second period for me begins when Sonic Youth and, and Bad Brains enter the picture, where SST are no longer, you know, building bands. They're, they're, they're they're signing up with bands who have already have reputations, and there's the sort of mutual benefit that comes from being on SST and having Black Flag on your label, and likewise with Sonic Youth, you know. Uh, I mean, clearly they went overboard, and you see, you know, the slew of signings and some of these bands that they never saw much of a return on. But that, to me, is the most exciting period, in a way. And then the final period for me being where it's basically just the Greg Genn show, you know, it's yeah. more or less a Greg and Vanity label. There's still some interesting bands, you know, in that final period. Uh, but that would be like, I would that third period, I would call that kind of like post-Soundgarden. You know what yeah. I mean? And it's really unexplored territory. A lot of people don't know that much about it. Do you? Did you ever, like, uh, do any digging into how many, you know, pressings, you know, how much, how many of these albums they were pressing later on? No, I mean, I... I mean, I have a really, my relationship to record collecting, it's like, I, I don't want to get that deep into it, you know? It's it's like yeah. having, like, 20,000 dead bootlegs or whatever. Like, I, I don't see a point in it at some point, you know? Yeah. Um, but I'm just more curious from a business standpoint. Right. Well, you know, one thing I read, a, you should check it out, is a, there's an autobiography, it's, it's Tommy Tommy James, you know, Tommy James and the, and the Shondells, right? Yep. And he was a guy who recorded for Roulette Records, which was, you know, run basically by the mafia. And he was trying to get accounting, and everybody was under this dude's thumb, this guy Morris Levy. You know, there's a, there's a Sopranos character that was based on him. So Tommy James, basically, the, he, the way he gets accounting, no one will tell him, no one will give him a straight answer. And he finds the guys who printed the center labels that go on the LPs, and that guy had a count of how many of these he'd printed, and the guy, re, you know, through that information he was able to realize that he'd been fleeced out of like millions and millions of dollars so (laughs) when the band asked me you know how do i how do i find out about pressings you know there's two people that really there's two people that 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 are privy to this information you know it's greg ginn and it's chuck dukowski and these guys are not talking you know but you know it's it's all about what you want to focus on if you want to focus on the music which is really what the focus should be on it's there's a lot there you know, um, and, you know, I will say, too, black, you know, SST from the beginning, that diversity that we talked about, particularly in that second period, right from the get-go, you've got Black Flag, you've got the Minutemen, and you've got Saccharin Trust. And they're, they're all so diverse, they're all so unique, they're these, like, almost bizarre takes on the punk idiom, and just courageous and exciting from the get-go this label was with just those first three bands yeah it really set the tone for their uh 
you know, the whole history of the label, really. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. You know, it, it, it wouldn't surprise you if you came across something weird later on if you looked at those initial three bands, you know? Yeah. No, there's definitely... They're setting you up for some uh, left-of-center stuff, yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Uh, do you have any uh, favorite releases? Yeah, you know, I used to, in the early days of the Facebook page that I have up for the book, I would do sort of, you know, what's your top ten releases. I guess they could vary from era to era. It's very hard to come up with one, you know, something like this. I mean, I will say undoubtedly one of the most important records that SST ever released was Double Nickels on the Dime. You know, and you see it in the We Jam Econo film where there's that montage where it's just one dude after another going, you know, this was one of the most amazing statements of creativity ever. You know, it, 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 it's astounding. It's totally astounding, you know. Did you did you talk to a lot of, like, uh, uh, artists unrelated to SST to get their take on the influence not really uh just because because the landscape is already so vast you know i thought about i talked to jill i I approached jelly biafra i thought about and he he was kind of reluctant you know he just said oh you should talk to carducci you know people suggested ian mckay uh and it, it started to turn into this thing where it was like just the people that are in every documentary kind of the talking heads you know I mean, there, there there are people that weren't on the label necessarily that were. There was some relevance because they were from L.A., like like Matt Groening from The Simpsons, for example. You know, I, I interviewed him about Zoog's Rift and about you know writing for the L.A. Reader. So there are some like notable L.A. folks that were actually part of that scene. But I really try to avoid you know just let's ask you know, the guys you always kind of hear from, you know, I wanted this to be unique in that way. Sorry, uh, you were, you were talking about Double Nickels there and kind of the importance of that album and the influence. Right, I mean, that's, well, and that's something that's like, you know, it's just uniquely SST, you know. Uh, I mean, if we were getting, I, I guess I could compile a top 10 or even 20 for you. You know, definitely Sonic Youth's sister, I think, is really, really something, you know. Uh, that's one of the ones that brought you in. You were saying, maybe? Absolutely, and I learned so much from that record about culture, about you know Philip K. Dick and science fiction, and it really set me down a, a you know a road. Uh, I will say I, that that last period of SST, I think the last truly great album that SST released was by Fatso Jetson. Fatso Jetson's The Power of Three. Again, another band that's still going. Right. Yeah. I mean, and they. SST, you know, could still deliver. That that Oxbow record there at the end is pretty great, you know. Um, the Opal record, just freaking, you know, astounding, yeah. you know. So, um, there, but there's so many. I mean, you've kind of put me on the spot here because it's like, a, it's my mind's just swimming in all these titles. <laughs> and, you know, I, I mean, I will say, Who's Du, like, I'm not really a Who's Du guy. You know, it was kind of, that was, that was it was kind of difficult for me to you know to take it on with a critical mind in in, in a way you know um, the Descendants not really your biggest Descendants fan you know I love Frank Nevada and Milo goes to college and the early super pissed off Descendants but when you get into like you know twenty five all records or something it it almost turns into the Greg Ginn thing where you're like oh man you know it's just this is this is not for me I'm not seeing a whole lot of variation here and I'm not excited about this stuff, you know. Well, I think that's a good 
it's a good approach to have when you're writing a book about the label because you know as much as we're kind of at the stage we're at here with the podcast we're really focusing on the early stuff right now but that's kind of the stuff everybody knows you know everybody already knows the story of Husker Du and Black Flag you know we're really looking forward to getting into some of the other stuff that you don't re- that you don't read about all the time right especially and I believe your approach is a lot of this stuff you don't even know you're going to maybe hear it the week of or the day of the podcast so that's that's interesting and that said you're, you're going to come across some just incredible incredible stuff you know uh, I, I always ran into this thing that I would see uh, people writing about SST they would refer to SST, some of these SST releases as you know unlistenable and I just I didn't think that that was really fair and I think in some cases the people that call these records unlistenable have never listened to them you know what I mean so you're you know you're definitely reciting a cliche that they think you know gives them credibility or something if they say it right yeah it's just uh, i'm not gonna die i'm not gonna dive into this i've got meat puppets i've got bad brains i've got sonic youth like there's plenty of good stuff here i don't need to listen to this other stuff but if you're going to be comprehensive like yeah you do yeah you know i agree was it hard to track people down no i mean we talked about this a little earlier this afternoon just me putting this out on facebook and being so public and so transparent about what i was doing it sounds like I'm complaining, but really, social media was amazing and kind of enabled this whole book. You know, I, I, around 2010 is when I really started to try to contact everyone, and that's right when everyone was becoming kind of fascinated with social media, particularly Facebook. And what I found was that every almost everybody was there. You know, it wasn't really hard to to get to get a, get a hold of people. You know. Were they coming to you? No, no. But you know, once I contact somebody, then it would be really easy to. If they weren't on Facebook, somebody in the band would go, oh, this guy's not on Facebook or whatever, but here's his number. You know, a lot of people were very helpful that way, you know, absolutely, including Mike Watt. Mike Watt printed out a, you know, a page of emails for me, you know. Wow. Can I throw some names at you and ask if you specifically talk to them? Yeah, I might not tell you why <laughs> why that is, but yeah, sure. Sure. Did you talk to Ray Farrell? I talked to Ray Farrell quite a bit, and, you know, I can't say enough about Ray Farrell. He's an unsung hero, eh? You know, the SST that people really talk about is the SST that, like, had its shit together. And the people that were responsible for that were Joe Carducci, Mugger, and Ray Farrell. But, but Ray Farrell is, he's, like, I, like, there wouldn't be, you know, Pell-Mell, Negative Land. You know, he brought a lot of stuff to the label. He really had Greg's ear for a while. The bands loved him. You know, and he maintained relationships with him post SST. Yeah, and you know, Ray Farrell also went to high school in New Jersey with Zoob's Rift, so he okay. even had like Zoob's Rift shit for me from high school. You know, <laughs> uh, so you talked to Joe Carducci, obviously. You said you talked to Spot. Did you talk to Mugger? Yeah, yeah, I did talk to Mugger, and the Mugger interview. I mean, it's like it almost brings me to tears how good it is. You know, I mean, the guy is just. It, it, it's like a punk rock Horatio Alger story, you know, like the guy really made good and totally deserved it, you know. And it, and again, I will reiterate, like he is one of the main reasons why we talk about SST and these reverential tones, you know. He, he enabled it, him and Carducci and, and all, all the people in the office, really, you know. That work ethic, eh? The work, the work ethic and just keeping, keeping the ego in check, and keeping 
keeping your eye, you know, on the prize times, you know. Did you talk to Chuck Dukowski? I did several times, but never actually got him on tape to the point where, you know, even after the, the lawsuit, I'll tell you whatever I want to tell you, you know. And there's a book in my, there's a story in my book that, that Wino tells me. This is the flag, the flag lawsuit thing you're talking about? Yeah, right, right. So after that, people kind of clammed up and things got weird. But, uh, you know, Wino tells me this story, it's in the book, about how St. Vitus gets all worked up because they're, you know, they, they need some fucking answers, you know. So they go down to SST and they sit down with Chuck and they start talking to Chuck. And, and Wino describes Chuck as almost like a snake charmer where he starts talking and talking and talking, and pretty soon they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they leave, and they realize, like, he, he, like Wino refers to Chuck as a snake charmer. Yeah. You know, like, he's a real, and, and he did it to me, and, you know, you got to love Chuck. Like, there's nothing not to like about him. But, yeah, he wasn't, you know, I guess the, the best thing to say about this, and Carducci said it recently, when Carducci and Mugger did that thing in New York, Carducci said that, Char, that, that Chuck Dukowski knows a lot about this stuff, but he's not comfortable talking about it, you know? Yeah. So it's unfortunate, you know, maybe I'll get him here at the 11th hour, but I understand why Chuck's nervous about me because anybody that wants to lay the blame solely at Greg Ginn's feet for what happened to the label is, is they're not factoring in Chuck, you know? I mean, Raymond Pettibone kind of blames Chuck just as much and says, you know, this guy had my this guy had my brother's ear the whole time. Yeah. You know, I mean, when you think about SST kind of falling afoul, it's it's the SST story is so typical, man. It's it's a record company story. Okay, what happens? Record companies rip people off. Shit falls apart. You know, that's fine. It's totally typical. But Chuck Dukowski got these guys in trouble with all this sloganeering. He was a great like. He was totally into propaganda and all all these slogans. And the one slogan that did them in was, corporate rock still sucks. You can't have a pose like that and then behave in the exact same manner, you know? And the sloganeering, all that shit, that comes from Chuck. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I read the that Lookout Records book that came out, and it's the same thing. And, I mean, they made probably way more money than, than SST made, but, it, you know, the amount of money they make is largely irrelevant but it's just, it's the same story it's the, you know it usually is you know it always is i mean gibby from the yeah. butthole surfer says you know like anybody who ran a, a independent records label in the 80s owes all their artists an apology uh it's 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 a white and i think that's why jelly biafra maybe didn't want to talk about this with me because he would have looked a little hypocritical you know talking criticizing greg again when he also behaved in that manner you know it's just how it is, but that's that's really why I think people are so up in arms about the SST thing. It's because of these slogans, man. You know, the, the propaganda, and then not not living up to, to 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 what you claim to be. You know. Well, I'm sure they had the. the I'm sure they started with the best intentions, but. Oh, absolutely. You know. Yeah. And, and they, you know, for however south it went, I mean, they accomplished something. I, I wouldn't be writing this book if I didn't think they accomplished something that was, you know, incredibly important and incredibly relevant, you know. Did you talk to Henry Rollins? I did not. Uh, you know, I, we talked about this a little bit before. I, I, I approached him and I said S, and I said S, and then before I could, I could spit out that T, he was already telling me no. 
He was very curt. He was very, I'm sure he thought he was being very gracious, but he, he, he it, it was not, it was not very friendly at all. It was yeah. not really the way you, like I say, again, I think he thought he was being gracious because he was saying very, you know, nice things, but it's kind of the way you were saying them, you know. Um, I understand, too, why Henry wouldn't do it. You know, I understand why a lot of people don't want to do this because, especially if you've moved, like, literally moved on, you know, this is such a small split. Well, I'm, you know, I think for a lot of the high-profile people, they're probably sick of getting asked about it all the time. And it was it was quite a while ago, and Henry in particular seems to want to, when he does talk about it, he wants it to be on his terms, you know? Right. Well, we talked earlier, too, about, you know, focusing on the engine and not the train. Yeah. And that's unfortunate, because I don't think Henry Rollins really has a whole lot to do with SST Records. No, you're right, but, you know, the only reason I ask is because he's kind of one of the more high-profile people who was fairly, was around a lot. Absolutely. I mean... Part of the re- part of the way SSC is regarded now has to do with where these people have gone, what these people have gone on to, and Henry Rollins is a great example of that because he's like practically you know the mayor of Los Angeles or whatever you know. What, uh, Greg Ginn, did you talk to him? This is a little iffy, just because you know who Greg is. You know, I I brought I brought Greg into town when he was doing the Royal, the, the Royal Wee thing. I, 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 made, I got some gigs for him here in the San Luis Obispo area. Okay. And I, I just, and he knew it was, we were completely transparent. Uh, you know, I went through his booking agent. This is who I am, hey, you know, no, I'm not, you know, surprises. And we booked the show and he came through and he, uh, at the end, you know, he played and he was very, uh, you know, nice. And then at the end of the night, he was like, well, would you like to go get some drinks? Which to me was completely shocking because it was like, dude, I would imagine you would want to be far, far from me, you know? So I, you know, went out for drinks with him, discussed all this stuff with him. Um, it was always on the fence. I mean, his, his concern was that there was an awful lot of, uh, it had been too, too mythologized, you know? Like, it, he, like, no one was even going to be able to make sense of it. And if I was asking him to make sense of it, the amount of times it would require was just not, you know, available. But, you know, he came back a second time, you know. He came back again. I, I hung out with him on a couple of occasions. And it was always... Like this is with his with his band? You well, know? his band was him, basically, and his buddy, Gary Piazza, who he's made some really great records with. Gary's, you know, a wonderful guy. But it, it, everything was very friendly up until Black Flag reunited, you know. When Black Flag reunited, I went to the gig. I was on the guest list for these shows. It wasn't like I surprised anybody or I, they didn't want me there they put me on the guest list man you know so i went to the the, the santa cruz show this would have been 2013 you know with ron reyes santa cruz it was just because of my schedule i had to i had to leave before the show was even over you know so i talked to drummer very briefly before the gig and didn't get a chance to hang out and talk with those guys three or four days later they were playing again in ventura and i went down there with some friends of mine and, you know, it's the, the setup is good for you plays, then there's a break, then Black Flag plays. You know, like asking way too much of any fans to put up with two of your bands, but whatever, that's how Greg enrolls, you know. So, good for you plays, and it was actually a pretty good set from that band, you know. And I run into Greg in the audience between, you know, I run into Earl Liberty, we're hanging out shooting the shit, and then there's Greg. And, hey, Greg, what's up, you know? And he gives me this big hug, and... Everything seems cool. We'll talk after the gig. So I hang out after the gig, and right before I talk to 
Greg, I talked to Mike Vallelay, who at this point I have not introduced myself to, but now he's the manager of the band, so it's, it's a good idea to talk to this guy, right? And the singer in Good For You. Exactly. So Mike Vallelay was... And soon to, be the, soon to be the singer in Black Flag. Right. So he was very standoffish, and then Greg comes out, and they just, you know, everything was cool. They go disappear for about five minutes, and when they come back, Greg is, like, furious. Hmm. He is accusing me. I'm not, I'm not going to tell you what he said, but he's accusing me of all this crazy stuff, and he's just angry, and he's demanding I leave. And I'm there with some friends, luckily, because I didn't see this, but, but Mike Vallelay, as, as the conversation gets more heated, Mike Vallelay is just pacing and huffing in circles because he wants me to, I know that that's, that's what this is all about, you know, like, Mike Vallelay just wants to kick my ass. He's a pretty aggressive guy, eh? Yeah, it was ridiculous. It was completely ridiculous. And so me, and I, you know, I'm not going to tell you exactly what was said, but me and Greg exchanged some words, and I, I saw no point, and, you know, it was, I was shocked. And I, I, I wasn't surprised. I mean, I was more surprised that I ever got so close to the guy in the first place. But it was, I was very taken aback. Like, Greg, I mean, I remember saying to him, Greg, you know, I thought we were friends. And he said, like a... Like a child, what he said, we were. <laughs> and then we exchanged some more words. And there was nothing for me to do but just walk away. Like, what was I going to do? Like, fight? You know, it was, it was weird. So, so there's that. I probably told you more than I wanted to there. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. You think, you think Mike got in his ear or something? Yeah. I mean, I think there, there, there's various theories as to what Mike Vallelay was intending to accomplish. But I don't have anything nice to say about Mike Vallelay, and I never will. You know, and I, I'm hard-pressed. I think you'll be hard-pressed to find anybody that does have anything nice to say about him and his role in Black Flag and SST. Yeah. Oh, so, so, much, so much for journalistic uh, uh, objectivity there. I just blew my cover. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you want to lighten it up a little bit and talk about the Blasting Concept compilation? Right, yeah. You know, you know like, initially I was a little reluctant to come on and talk about a you know a compilation of previously released material but i mean it, it, it it's an interesting document you know it really is from you know the stories surrounding it as far as you know who's for do having objections to the cover art and uh, the, the harvey kubernick uh liner notes which are incredibly interesting mm-hmm. you know when you consider the role that harvey is going to play later on with new alliance records you know you know i think it's a really interesting comp i think it's a little strange the format you know, kind of similar to those uh, program annihilator uh, comps later, where instead of presenting a song and then another song, it's this like weird chunk. But as far as the material and the choices that were made, I mean, you have to imagine this is probably just for you've listened to Black Flag, and this is this is an introduction to the other shit we put out. You know, in that regard, I think it is pretty successful. It's a little clunky. The sequencing is a little strange. It is. I maybe would have. Picked pick some other tunes you know nothing off damaged which is weird yeah um at the same time though i mean that's something that i caught right away is the first song's keith second song's ron third song's dead yeah so already you're seeing this evolution of the black flag thing and i think it's almost them looking back in a way and that's something i kind of admire about the label is sometimes they would even early on just to document a band that wasn't going to make the money because they weren't going to go out on, on tour or anything. I mean, it wasn't a band anymore. Uh, they would still put it out, you know. That Overkill record, you know, was not not the single, but the record was so after the fact, you know. 
I think I read a quote in one of the books where this is after like probably Zen Arcade, you know, when cash flow is, you know, not as much of an issue anymore. At some point, Joe Carducci says, like, I went to Greg Ginn and said, you can put out whatever you want now. And that's, right, you know, right. we start seeing October Faction and, and all that kind of stuff, you know, right. kind of the stuff you're mentioning, like the stuff that, I mean, they played, but they didn't, it's, they're not a band that didn't play shows, but I mean, they're not going to be a breadwinner by any means, you know, more, more of the vanity type stuff. Yeah, no, I, I, some of that, some of that was to, just to be contrary, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but I mean, it's not, that's not to say they didn't believe in this stuff. They just knew that, you know, the punkers weren't going to like it. You know, uh, Mer- Merrill and Mugger had this thing called FPP, which was fuck the punkers, you know, because these guys initially worked, you know, in the capacity as roadies. So these are the guys that had to fucking, you know, take punches and, and, and throw punches, you know. And to see, you know, what happened around this band, you know, the, the fans were not interested in diversity. They were not interested in extended jams. They were not interested in, you know, Ornette Coleman or, you know, what have you, you know. No, I mean, it definitely comes across that they were pretty jaded, fed up with the uh, with the whole punk scene. Right, right. But at the same time, it, it was their bread and butter. So it's- It often happens that way. I mean, a, a band from up here in Canada that Ryan and I bo- are both huge fans of, No Means No, you know, they're not a punk band. Right, right. And But they play punk clubs, and they play with other punk bands, and... To a certain extent, they get meatheads at their show. Right, which is funny because the meatheads are not getting that what these guys are doing in the context of the punk scene is ten times more punk than, you know, like having the right fucking outfit and t-shirt, you know? Yeah, exactly. And uh, Husker Du's on this, and they hadn't released anything on SST proper yet. Right, I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, there is the New Alliance thing. I mean, like, you guys, the, the approach you guys are taking doesn't factor in New Alliance, and cruise as much but it's because again you know descendants who's could do these were both new alliance bands initially you well know? some of that stuff's going to get reissued at some point on on sst once like i don't like greg ginn didn't own the label yet at this point right right oh definitely no there was the pair there was a the cherry picking that that took place and then there were bands like slovenly and uh you know blood on the saddle who, who ended up being you know sst bands proper you know the treacherous jaywalkers they were initially going to be a, a new alliance uh, band, and then the timing as it was, you know, everything kind of languished because Boone had passed, and then eventually Greg Ginn calls them, and, and the, the Jaywalkers end up on it. So yeah, there was they, they were totally connected. Who's Who Do? The thing that I find really interesting about, like, I, that's the track on here. There's a couple tracks on here where I go, why did you pick that one? You know, and Real World is because I know you guys do the uh, ballot result. You know, Real World is like a very important in a very uh you know song, that song's very indicative uh, of the band but if this if this, if this would be like a more punk comp i would have put that very last tune on metal circus simply because it's like such a rager you've got bob mole doing this like almost great gen style guitar work yeah just in terms of flow you know i think that would have been a better choice likewise the stains tune get revenge there were you know uh, man, you know, sick and crazy. You know, that would have been, you know, or Pretty Girls, you know. Yeah, there's better songs on that record for sure. Absolutely, you know. Um, I mean, one of the standout things here, that you know, a couple things that really jump out to me on this comp is the Worm thing. You know, Worm was, was such an interesting uh, 
band. And that's another thing that they kind of went back and put it out, even though Worm wasn't, you know, a band. And here we see, we, we hear Chuck singing, which, you know, really isn't a good thing. You know? <laughs> Not really. Uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the uh, that final SWA record volume. I'm not. Ryan might be. Yeah, the final SWA record volume. You know, Merrill has left. He sings on one tune. Jack Brewer sings on a tune, and even uh, Philo sings on a tune. But for the most part, it's just Chuck singing on every tune, and it's like, it's it's a real chore, man. You know, it's not the best. Yeah. Right. Right. But Worm. I mean, Worm was interesting because you know, I mean, those guys ended up those guys ended up in the Mentors. You know. Yeah, you mentioned the liner notes and Harvey Kubernick, is that how you say it? Right. Yeah. What's his connection to New Alliance? Does he help does he help run that label? Well, you know, when when Greg sells or when when Watt rather sells the label to Greg, it kind of uh and there's different theories as to why you would end up on New Alliance versus SST. You know, Martin B C tends to think that if you were not a touring band they were gonna put you on New Alliance. It wasn't necessarily the case. But New Alliance kind of, you know, there's this guy, they bring in Robert Vodica, who wrote this amazing dissertation on Black Flag, you know, that's, that's just pretty incredible. He, he interviewed Greg extensively and got, you know, a lot of insights from him. But Robert Vodica becomes the guy who runs New Alliance. And New Alliance, they're putting out, like I say, kind of more the fringe experimental stuff, like Rudolph Gray, and a lot of uh, the side, like the side projects, Jaconi Youth, and the coach and you know yeah uh, gobblehoof you know which were involved with with, with jay mascus you know and then the other the other way that, that new alliance functioned was the spoken word records okay like they did something like almost 50 spoken word records with like some of the most amazing la poets and that was greg in letting harvey kubernick run wild like harvey kubernick was in charge of all of the spoken word stuff. I mean, there's some really interesting ones like Jack Brewer uh, and Bazooka. You know, Jack Brewer did, I think, two or three of these spoken word records in addition to all the other shit that he did. Uh, the guy, Larry Hankin, who was the uh, the prototype for uh, uh, Kramer on Seinfeld, he did a spoken word record uh, for New Alliance. There's a guy, Scott Richardson, who was in the Scott Richardson. Are these live? No, it was just something they were going into the studio, you know. So he has uh, Scott Richardson, you know, was in the was in the SRC. They were a, a Detroit band from the '60s that were contemporaries of the MC5. And so this is his poetry record. He's got Robert Mitchum on there. The, the spoken word records is a lot. I mean, that's a book within itself. But Harvey Kubernick was the guy that was at the helm of all that stuff, you know, and. That's just one aspect of the Harvey Kubernick story. I mean, he was his place in the history of, of Los Angeles music is, is kind of amazing too. Before doing these records for New Alliance, I don't know if you guys have ever heard the stuff on Freeway Records. There were three compilations that he did. One was called English as a Second Language. One was called uh, Neighborhood Rhythms. The, the third one escapes me now. But it would be all these short little spoken word pieces from people like you know Mike Watt and. Chuck Dukowski reading the Swa Manifesto and Exing Cervenka and all these poetry people, Henry Rollins. Carvey Kubernick is the guy who gave Henry Rollins his start in, in spoke word. He's the guy that was putting these shows together. Yeah, and like I said, he had free reign. I mean, there were something like 40 or 50 of these spoken word records that New Alliance released that he was at the helm of, you know. Wow. I mean, this it's 
rich, man. There's a, there's just there's so much here, you know. You wonder where all those records ended up. Like you never see them. I mean, I never do. I mean, for the for the most part, on Amazon for one cent. You know? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah. I mean, that's just how people appreciate poetry. That's not really on on the artist or anybody else. It's just you know, it was kind of a the context was a you know a little a little weird for all that. But there's there are gems among that stuff, man. You know. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure. Danny Wiseman, the, the shredder. If you get a chance to, you know, you could probably pick it up for nothing on on Amazon. The, the wet dog shakes. It's hilarious. It's amazing. You know, Wanda Coleman, amazing. You know, uh, uh, Harry Northrup, who was in fucking Taxi Driver. He did two spoken word <laughs> records for SST, you know? Wow. Yeah, so there's a connection to Hollywood. There's a connection to all that through Harvey Kubernetes, you know? And there's also a famous story in Inner Naomi where, you know, there's Harvey, Harvey Kubernetes comes over to the SST offices and somebody catches them stealing and they don't even say anything. Because at least he's gonna review the shit that he stole, you know. Is uh, before I let you go, is there anything you want to say about the book? Um, I mean, I you know, there, there's I guess there's a lot to say about it, you know. I mean, like the idea mainly is just people all you know. We talked about focusing on the engine and not just the train, but that's true of of these, the, you know, the stars, you know, your Henry Rollinses and your Jay Mascuses and even your Thurston Moores and your Lee Ronaldos, you know, like uh, or your Black your, your Bad Brain. I hit everything just as hard and, you know, in the same manner, whether you were Zoog's Rift or, you know, Paper Bag, Buffalo Tom, whether you were like an insider or whether you were, you know, it was some weird licensing deal, you know. Um, I mean, I think as, as I come closer to finishing this, I'm, you know, I'm just within really a couple of months of being completely finished with it. I mean, I'm, I'm incredibly excited about this because the story comes through, you know, I would have loved to have Henry. I would have loved to have Greg and I would have loved to have Chuck on board, but this is, this is not the definitive as the story by any means. Just like the Bible is not the Bible by any means, you know, it's, it is what it is. You know what I mean? And, um, it's all there. You know, I think people are going to be excited about it. I think you're going to hear things. If you've read all these SST books, if you've seen all these SST documentaries, you're going to be excited about this because, like, you're going to learn something. Yeah. Because I completely submerged myself in this culture for, you know, well over five years, you know. Can't wait, man. Thanks a lot for taking the time to talk to me. Yeah, absolutely, man. Thanks for having me, and I look forward to, you know, coming back and uh, throwing some commentary on some of these weirder releases that are, you know, incredibly hard to make sense of. <laughs> I hope, if anything, like, that's what I can offer is, like, I was, like, you know, I was at Zoog's Rift's funeral, you know, so. Wow. I mean, hopefully I'm. Yeah, well, t you know, take your pick, man. Well, and like I say, good good luck to you guys. I mean, again, uh, you know, as soon as I looked at what you were doing, a beautiful mind immediately came to mind, just being surrounded by all these, you know, Greg Gensolo records and the equation doesn't really add up to shit, <laughs> you know. Um, and it's also, like, a through-the-looking-glass thing. Yeah. You know, like, I work in a record store. I kind of refer to myself as a self-hating record collector. When I started out, part of like doing this even was to justify having a big record collection. Yep. And that's not a record collection, man. That's a research library. <laughs> you know. And in the end, you talk to somebody like Spot, and you realize like record collecting is totally weird. It's like not a good thing to dedicate your life to. Okay. <laughs> you know, uh, Raymond Pettibone says there's something creepy. There's like a sort of creepy negative quality about 
collecting life rather than living it, you know. And, and there is something to be said for that, but this is also history we're talking about. And I guess the final thing I'll say is to people out there that are wondering when the hell this book is going to come out, you know, it's going to come out very soon. You're going to hear from me very soon about when this book is coming out. And if that's not good enough for you, you know, like it's history. History's not going, the history's not going anywhere, okay? Like you will know what I know soon enough, you know? And I guess that's all I, I, I can say about that, you know? Right on, man. Well, thanks a lot for taking the time to talk to me today. It's really appreciated. Yeah. Right on, man. Brent, that sounded like uh, a really cool interview to have, a really interesting conversation. Yeah, it was a real treat to talk to him. As I mentioned, we talked a bunch off the record, and I'm really excited to read this book. Yeah, it was, I mean, there was so much that he mentioned, it's hard to even remember it all. I'll definitely have to listen to that a few times. Interesting, some references, though, to releases that we will get to way way in the future but you know just makes me even more pumped for it and that's i mean we'll get to the blasting concept the actual release in a minute but some of the stuff he he spoke about like that oxbow record i don't know if you've ever heard that one but that's way in the future but that's an awesome record and I can't wait to get to it and maybe hopefully turn some people on to that one yeah i actually don't know that one but i do know some of some of his other stuff so uh, I'm looking forward to checking it out too and for me it was interesting how Abe came to the label I mean you and I are both punk rock guys you know I mean for me it's it's all it was all about Black Flag and Husker Du and and all that stuff and for him he kind of came into what he calls like the second phase of the label which was big for me too like uh you know Dinosaur Jr. and Bad Brains and all that stuff was a huge part of it for me but that didn't come till way later for me. Yeah, I have a very similar story as you as well. And and it was because the the flagship band always was Black Flag and that was the association with SST to a T all throughout. And I, I mean I think I'm actually similar to you, correct me if I'm wrong, in that I came to Minutemen through Firehose. Yeah, I think I actually came to Minutemen through this Blasting Concept album. This maybe. actual one? Oh, okay. I think so, yeah. I can definitely relate to, you know, when he's mentioning the second wave, because there's definitely a ton of bands there, but for sure, I didn't hear about... I heard about Black Flag way before Dinosaur Jr., for example. Yeah, and I mean, like, you and I were both teenagers in the early 90s. So, I mean, I heard a lot of these bands get mentioned. I mean, Soundgarden was on the label, for example. But, I mean, if, you know, Kurt Cobain was always talking about all of these bands, like the oh, Meat yeah. Puppets, for example. and Yeah, when you would read those interviews, it was actually a little frustrating because you would hear about these bands, but it was impossible to find them. So, for example, you talk about coming up in the early 90s. I remember reading... I can't remember what magazine I bought it in. It was either Rolling Stone or Spin or something like that. But they used to have advertisements in the back for upcoming releases. And it was the same issue. I was in high school. I can't remember what grade. But I remember flipping to the page. And on the same page was Dinosaur Jr. Green Mind. And so they had left SST by then. On, on the same page was an advertisement for Nirvana Bleach which was on Sub Pop at that time. 
And so I sought out those two records and, you know, Nirvana, not on SST, Dinosaur Jr. had left SST long ago. I had no idea of the history and all the other bands that we're going to be getting into at that point. It was, it was really like you might get the odd, you know, quote unquote alternative video late at night or the odd advertisement in a magazine every if you were lucky you could get maximum rock and roll and maybe um learn about some bands that way but they weren't talking about this kind of stuff so no way well that's 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 just it maximum rock and roll or if you got flip side or something like that it was either kind of very new punk uh or emo stuff nothing like what we're going into for the first 20 30 50 sst releases there would be references though to it in some interviews yeah. Do you want to uh, get into the blasting concept, the release itself? Yeah. History lesson, part two. The blasting concept is, we have mentioned it a ton of times already in the first 12 episodes of this podcast. We have mentioned for several bands, well, you just mentioned a moment ago about hearing about bands for the first time on here. You mentioned the Minuteman. I remember on the Overkill show, I had thought I had never really heard of them, but in fact, I had heard them on this compilation, and just but they just didn't really stick out to me. Yeah, this is for sure the first time I heard the Meat Puppets, and same thing, it d- didn't blow me away. Yeah, and I got this compilation way into my into my twenties for sure. Like it was not an introduction to Black Flag for me or or the Minutemen by this point for me. I had heard these on compilation tapes long before but it's the first time that i would have heard the stains for sure first time that i would have heard worm as well yeah i was fairly young when i got my copy but it's not something i listened to a ton so no it is interesting though to see what sst releases are represented on here it kind of has a full run from 1 to 11 except for damaged and then when i was listening to this and Side 2 closes out with a song from Husker Du Metal Circus. Just got totally pumped when I heard that. Yeah, that would have been, at the time, the really cool part about this is that would have been an unreleased track. At that point, for sure. And, and I mean, it just makes me really excited for once we get to Husker Du. So it, the other thing, too, about listening to this is it was it was kind of a cool retrospective of the first dozen or so podcasts because interesting to kind of replay what releases we went through kind of what we thought about them and to revisit them i will say i know for the ballot result when we did saccharine trust pagan icons we did not pick this track and um i'm gonna lobby strongly for the one that's on this compilation when we get there we'll see how i do oh yeah a couple other things about this compilation though of interest it says on the LP itself that it's a 45 RPM. Oh, it yeah. Is, yeah, it's actually a 33 RPM record, both sides. It also says, at least on my copy, it says $3.49 on the spine. Mm. Mine is all crunched out, but I can tell. that's. Uh, I guess that's the suggested real retail price back then. 1983, when this came out. Another Raymond Pettibone piece of artwork on the cover, and a controversial one, too. I seem to recall Abe mentioning it in the interview. Yeah, I was going to say, I I wish I would have followed up on that, because I've never read that before, but it stands to reason that they would take issue with it. It's, uh, It's about as provocative as it gets, 
for uh, Raymond Pettibone art. And you mean Husker Du kind of taking issue with it being the cover, right? Yeah. I mean, it's a pretty brutal rape scene. Yeah. Well, lots of Raymond Pettibone stuff is incredibly provocative. I really like him as an artist. I really like his later stuff, too. Uh, he has lots of drawings of surfers and and lots of political artwork that I really like. This one it definitely stands out as something that you, you kind of have to give your head a shake when you, you're taking it in. Yeah, like he's... Uh... The rapist has got a like a rope around her neck, and he's choking her. She's clawing at him. She's clawed marks into him. And outside in the window, you can see like a mushroom cloud. Yeah, it's definitely not for the faint of heart, that's for sure. On the back of the LP, there's also a write-up by Robert Kubernick. And I think you um, Abe mentioned him a, a ton in the interview as well, right? Harvey? Harvey Robert Kubernick, sorry. Yeah, that was really interesting when he was talking about all the uh, spoken word stuff that this Harvey Kubernick kind of curated for New Alliance. Yeah, after Greg Ginn bought it, right? Yeah. I was just going to say, uh, Abe kind of says it's a really cool write-up. I don't know if I agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> I, w I was <laughs> just going to point out, I was going to point out some of it is uh, is interesting to read, I mean however many decades on at the time in 83 yeah maybe what's what's the one quote here that i like it says sst always reflected social and political consciousness gregory ginn chuck dukowski mike watt d boone and other lyricists of this on this round black document present evidence of their emotional expeditions for inspection and digestion it's a bit over the top yeah it didn't really uh do much for me but <laughs> <laughs> Yo, hey, you know, I'm not sure that I could write anything better, though, in his defense. Well, that's true. The one thing I wanted to mention on this, which is another reason that when we set out to do this podcast, that I really like the little label-isms on the back. Mm -hmm. The one thing that I liked when I was reading it in a lot of detail here, it says, write to SST Records to get a free catalog of records and merchandise and to get on the mailing list for tour schedules. Oh, yeah. So pre-internet, you would get something in your mailbox saying, these bands are coming to your town in the near future. And I do have some SST catalogs where it, it had that little insert. Of course, never come anywhere near I live, but always it's kind of interesting to see. I mean, now it's all you, you download the Bands in Town app or whatever. But yeah. getting something in the mailbox and, you know, posting it, putting it on your fridge or something like that or pinning it up on your wall would be pretty cool, too. Yeah, you read a lot about, you know, the people, the kind of the band members that were living at SST or hanging around like, you know, Henry Rollins, for example, or Mike Watt did a lot of that kind of stuff, mailing out stuff to people on the mailing list. Totally. And interesting, too. I mean, it has a full list of all the releases between SST 1 to 20. And just as a preview of what we're going to get into in the near future, uh, next episode is uh, Minuteman, what's, What Makes a Stamp Man Start Fires. Is that right? Yep, I think so. And then uh, Everything Went Black, Buzzer Howl, Minuteman, and then two new bands, which uh, everyone will have to stay tuned for. The Dicks, Kill from the Heart, and the Dicks are a legendary band, and also legendary are the Subhumans, and this is the yeah. Canadian Subhumans. 
No Wishes, No yeah. Prayers. And then right before Husker Du Metal Circus is the Meat Puppets number two. So we've got a rock solid set of podcasts coming up. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Do you want to do the ballot result? Well, before we get into that, we should probably do the run out grooves on this one. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because they do not disappoint. Lay them on me. Okay, so side A, side one, sorry, which again says 45 RPM, but it's actually 33, says, Limey's Don't Eat Tofu, airhead. Can I tie my shoe now, Jack? Question mark. Limey's? Limey's. Hmm. And then uh, side two says, my love for a book of chili. Sorry, my love for a bowl of chili. <laughs> That makes more sense. <laughs> Not okay, much. Let, yeah, let me try that again. My love for a bowl of chili. Oi, mate, would you be uh, would you be fancying a cheese sandwich then? Question mark. Hmm. So with the limeys on the front and the oi, mate, I suspect I failed miserably at reading those run-out grooves in a, a Cockney accent. <laughs> and let me see. Let me just make sure there's nothing else. Nope, that's it. Ballot result. Ballot result. So do you want to do the ballot result? What do you mean? Do I want to pick the song? Well, I want to see first if you're going to pick a good one. Well, I want to do the Husker Du song. You'd want to pick Husker Du before we, like, we're not even on, we're going to get to Metal Circus. There's other good songs on Metal Circus, though. I feel like you should be picking one that we have already been through. Like, I really think it should be Saccharine Trust, A Human Certainty. Yeah, but if you look at it this way, you don't want to put in, like, uh, say, Diane off metal circus like that's a pretty important song yeah are you saying if we don't put on real word real world now we won't have room for diane then is that what you're saying yeah like what's what's a better track to you you know what i mean like it would you rather have a human certainty than say real world or diane once we get to metal circus because you're gonna have to choose between those two tracks you know what i'm saying or anything else on that on that ep that you like oh when we get to SST 20 Metal Circus, I will want to have the whole thing on the ballot result. Well, you see what I'm saying here? And I mean, I have a feeling like we're going to encounter Saccharine Trust again more times than we're going to encounter Husker Du on compilations. What? On compilations? Okay, maybe you have a point there. Like the sacramental element, isn't that like a compilation? Uh, I don't think so. I think that's... Oh, the cassette. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Okay. Okay, you win. What is, the, what, is the, what is the ballot result, Brent? Real world. Husker Du. That's a done Yeah. Deal. I mean, it's a basically like a rant against cookie-cutter punk rockers, you know? I, I don't know. When that one came on, when I was listening to Blasting Concept, it was like, oh, Nelly, are we in for some good stuff on this podcast? Like, yeah. There, there is some incredible stuff, and I mean, that's just the first Husker Du P, right? Yeah, I mean, for me, we're just getting good. We're getting into Meat Puppets 2, Husker Du's about to come up, best stuff from Flag is still to come, in my opinion, so... Yeah, I would agree with that, too. Okay, so the next podcast will be The Minutemen, What Makes a Man Start Fires. Right on. Thanks for listening, everybody. 